Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here today. How about you? All right. So we all know what it's like to be really excited about something and then feel totally let down when the experience doesn't match up with our expectations. And I'm not just talking about Hawkeye basketball in March. That's a given. It is what it is. And there are a lot of us in here who are just emotionally preparing to deal with it again. But even when the stakes are low, it stinks to be let down. Like a couple weeks ago, I went to Wendy's because I saw a commercial for their new Italian mozzarella chicken sandwich. It's like garlic knot bun, fried wheel of mozzarella, marinara, slice of Asiago, fried chicken. And that thing looked good. And then I got one. And uh, first of all, the bottom bun was so hard you could have hammered in nails with it. So I just had to throw that away. And then I kept eating and then about a third of the way through the sandwich, I had something hard and not chewable in my mouth. So I pulled it out and it was one of those little squares of wax paper you used to separate slices of cheese. But it was the whole square, so I hadn't swallowed any of it. And I just threw that away on top of the bottom bun and finished that sandwich like a man. It was terrible though. So just because I care about you guys, I want to warn you, if you see a commercial for the Wendy's Italian mozzarella chicken sandwich, do not get one. The experience will not match up with your expectations at all. And I wonder sometimes if we feel that way about faith. Like there's some stuff that we expected that we're not really experiencing. Some stuff we thought God promised us that just doesn't seem to be coming to fruition in our lives. I mean, Jesus came and he said, if you're weary or burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest. But can we be honest with each other this morning? A lot of us are exhausted and we're burnt out. Jesus said, I came that you may have life to the full, but there's a whole lot of us running on empty. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible, but I know I'm not the only one here this morning who feels like I constantly run into dead ends and obstacles that are too big for me to overcome. Jesus said, I tell you these things that you might have peace, but a lot of us struggle with fear and uncertainty and anxiety. Jesus said, I am present with you always, even to the end of the age, but it's easy in the middle of this shattered world to feel isolated and alone, there's a gap. There's a gap that exists between our expectations and our experiences of faith sometimes. And if you guys are anything like me, it's easy to find yourself frustrated by that. I'm wondering if maybe there's some sort of secret that you gotta unlock in order to shrink the gap. And the truth is we live in the middle of a culture and even a Christian subculture that will often tell us there is. There are some magic words and magic thoughts and magic rituals, and if we participate in them, if we say the right things the right way and we think the right positive thoughts, then everything will just fall into place for us because this or that is actually the super special secret sauce to unlocking the promises of God in our lives. And none of that stuff ever works. It usually leaves us in a worse spot than we were in before. But in the middle of our longing, it's tempting to believe that maybe this time it will work. And the truth is we're not alone. 
We're not the first people in the history of the world to feel like there's a gap between God's promises and our lives and not the first people to be fed the message that we can shrink that gap by adding something to our faith in Jesus. We're in week three of this series called Image of the Invisible, where we've been digging into the book of Colossians, which is a letter Paul wrote to the new church in the city of Colossae that was planted by his friend Epaphras. And you guys, they were in the exact same boat we were in. They knew all these promises about Jesus, but then some people came along and said, yeah, yeah, Jesus is great. He's the best. But if you really want to live fully alive, if you want to unlock all the mysteries of faith, if you want to be handed the material blessings of, of everything you can imagine God blessing you with, then there's some stuff you got to add on to Jesus later. There's, there's some secret words to say and, and secret rituals to be a part of and secret thoughts that you got to think. And if you want the fullness of faith, we'll tell you about those. And Paul basically wrote the letter of Colossians to say, wrong, wrongity wrong, 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 wrong. Everything Jesus promised you is yours already and nobody can take it from you. And the big idea of the book, we talked about this last week, I'll mention it again this morning, is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Paul's trying to speak against the voices that told the Colossians they needed to add something secret to their faith in order to experience the fullness of God's love and blessings for them. He says, look, the secret to following Jesus is no secret at all. It is the thread woven from the very beginning to the very end of your Bible on every single page. It's Jesus. It's only ever been Jesus. It's only ever going to be Jesus. And at the beginning of chapter two, he begins to tell them what it looks like to experience Jesus more fully. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible handy this morning, you can crack it open to Colossians chapter two. Colossians is between Philippians and Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the words on the screen. And if you need one or your kids do, we have them in a bunch of different colors for a bunch of different age groups back at that next steps table. They're our gift to you. Please take one before you leave today. But Colossians two, one, Paul writes, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea, which was a nearby town, and for all who have not met me personally. And what he's saying is, look, I know we've never met each other. You haven't met me, I haven't met you, but you've heard about me and I've heard about you and I want you to know I care so much about your faith and about your lives. I'm willing to fight for it. My suffering is the evidence. The the word that we translate contending here is this Greek word agona, it's the root for our word agony. Paul's like, I, I am paying with my blood, my sweat, and my tears to get you the truth about Jesus Christ. And it's true. I mean, he was arrested and beaten and imprisoned and more for the cause of Jesus. And the crazy thing about that is, you know what his crime was? You know why Paul got beaten and arrested so often? Because he said that Jesus is everything. In the middle of an ancient pagan world, the Greeks and the Romans did not care at all about adding Jesus to the mix of gods. So that's fine, add Jesus in there. But they had a real hang up on Jesus being the only thing, the only God. And even the Jews who were sympathetic to the idea that Jesus was the promised Messiah were like, yeah, 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 but Jesus can't be it. It can't be Jesus plus nothing equals everything because then all of our law following and all of the rules that we've been keeping and all the good things that we've been doing and the good words that we've been saying count for nothing in terms of our own salvation. 
Because the idea of grace at the beginning, grace at the end, and all grace in the middle was so radical that people hated Paul and became furious at him for the fact that he dared to preach that it was true. And so Paul kept getting imprisoned for saying, no, there is no Jesus and. There is no Jesus plus. Jesus is all we need. And people kept getting angry. They're like, yeah, yeah, but if, if it's all grace, then can't anybody be saved? If it's all grace, does, does, does that mean all the good things that I've been doing don't save me? They don't, they don't earn God's love? And Paul's like, exactly. It's all crap. Like all the stuff that you've been doing, all the boxes that you've been checking, everything you've ever tried and put effort into to earn your way to God is a pile of crap. And I know some of you are thinking, Mike, you shouldn't say crap in church. It's not a nice word. And I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. But that's the nicest, most church-appropriate translation I have for the actual slang term Paul used for poop in <laughs> Philippians 3.8 when he said, my whole resume as a human Everything I've done, and I'm a really, really good one. All the boxes I've checked and the hoops I've jumped through and the rules I've kept, all of that I counted as skubala, crap, compared to knowing Jesus deeply and intimately. That is the only thing. That's what he's getting at in Colossians 2.1. He's saying this message is so important. I'm willing to suffer in agony in order to deliver it to you. Then he says, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart by being united in love. So you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul's like, my goal here, my purpose in writing this is so that you'd be encouraged by being united in love. And the word for united here is kind of a fun word to say. It's sumbibadzo. Ever say sumbibadzo with me? You ready? One, two, three. Sumbibadzo. I told you it was fun. It's a compound word, and it means smashed together. Like you take two things, and you just force them to be together. Some translations say knit together. Like we're knitting together the fabric of our lives and our stories alongside one another in love. And Paul's saying that's the means by which we're going to be encouraged, by which we're going to close the gap and begin to experience the fullness of what Jesus promises us. It's knitting our stories together with God's people so we can experience Jesus more deeply, so we can be encouraged. But our problem is when we see this phrase encouraged in heart, we read it through a modern lens and we think feeling better. We're like, oh, I was sad, then someone encouraged me, and now I'm not sad anymore. But the problem is in the ancient Near Eastern world, encouraged didn't have anything to do with our feelings. It had everything to do with our strength. It didn't mean like someone makes me feel better. It meant someone gave me strength I did not have before on my own so that my whole being could move forward. It's kind of like in 2002, there's a quarterback from Marshall named Byron Leftwich. In the first quarter of a game, he broke his shin. I can't even imagine how bad that would hurt. And in the fourth quarter, his team needed a little inspiration. So Byron Leftwich on one leg came back into the game. And his offensive line picked him up and carried him and set him in place so he could take the snap. He ended up throwing for over 300 yards. And none of that would have been possible if his teammates 
hadn't carried him along the way. That's what Paul's talking about when he says he wants us to be encouraged. He wants us to experience a strength, not our own, that allows us to move forward, to go, which begs the question, why? Why is Paul so concerned with with our movement and with our going? And the answer is that the church is a missional organization. The people of God have a purpose on this planet. Missions is not simply something we do. I think that gets confusing sometimes because we have like missions partners and missions teams and missions Sundays. And we use this word missions to talk about the efforts we support around the globe to bring the good news of Jesus to people. But mission, like the one written on the wall out there, this is Revision Church exists to help people meet Jesus and follow him fully. Mission is why we exist. The church is not a thing that we go to. The church is a community with a mission we choose to be a part of. And Paul says, if we're gonna live out that mission, if we're gonna accomplish it, if we're gonna actually help people meet Jesus and follow him fully, we're gonna need strength that we don't have because it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. We live in a broken world full of darkness, division, and hatred that constantly conspires to keep us from reaching lost people with the good news of the gospel, from helping them crash into Jesus and figure out what it looks like to be fully human and fully alive in him and from joining up and being a part of that mission themselves. Like darkness is is scary and it's real. I know I'm not alone in this, right? Confession time, I'm 39 years old. And still, if I flip the lights off in my basement a little too early, I go up the stairs two at a time. It's not a dead sprint. It's a bit of a hustle though. And I don't know why. I could look in the mirror and say, intellectually, this is very stupid. But experientially, I don't like the dark. There's gross stuff that lives out there in the dark, stuff that's conspiring to keep us from being who God says we're meant to be. And so Paul says you're going to need to be encouraged so you can move forward, so you can chase the mission. And how are you going to get encouraged? Love. Paul's goal is that all of the strength necessary for us as the church to move forward would be provided to the church by the church, by one another. As we commit our lives to each other, as we commit to being there and humbly self-sacrificing for the sake of the people around us, all of us get strength that we wouldn't have on our own to push the mission forward. Our strength comes from the way we care about and for each other. And I think what Paul's getting at here is the mission of the church is fueled by the love of the church. What we do and how successfully we're able to do it depends on our unity and on our love because that's the stuff that powers and propels the mission forward. Love is the fuel and unity is the foundation. A divided church is a, is a weak church. Division means our strength is being recruited in a bunch of different directions that don't allow us to move forward powerfully. Now, quick caveat here, because I think sometimes this word unity gets abused by people in positions of power. I've seen it twisted inside the church to mean that everybody's got to think the same and dress the same and do the same and not question it because unity matters. So don't question the man of God. Just blindly do what he says, no accountability. If you ask questions, that's bad. Unity. That's not unity, that's uniformity, and it's weird. That's how cults operate. It's not how families operate when they love each other, at least not my family. If you visited us on a Saturday, you would not see uniformity. (laughs) But there's unity, right? 
And I want to address the elephant in the room because I know some of you might be here or you might be watching online for the very first time and you're like, yeah, but is there a uniformity thing going on at this church? Because so far, both of the people who stood on that stage and said they're pastors have shaved heads. Is this like a crazy church where you got to shave your head to be a pastor? And the answer is no. And it's a little hurtful that you thought that, okay? Me and Jeremy didn't grow up as little boys dreaming of going bald in our 20s. It happened to us. (laughs) So there's that. But unity is about moving forward in the same direction together. And the Bible says we ought to be chasing unity, but it says uniformity is a bad idea because we all have unique gifts and unique wirings and unique perspectives. And when we bring those to the table, we are more than we could ever be on our own. And we actually can pull in the same direction together. You guys, we are better together. We can do more that God has put on our place for us to do if we do it alongside people who have gifts that we don't have and perspectives that we don't have and abilities that we don't have. We can do more together. That's just science, right? If you go to the gym, there are two basic types of lifts that you can do. You can do compound exercises and isolation exercises. In compound exercises like squats or deadlifts, you recruit a whole bunch of different muscle groups to either push or pull together. In isolation exercises, you use one muscle group to push or pull. Now, you don't got to be a gym rat or a personal trainer to get the answer to this question, right? Which one of those do you think allows you to lift heavier weights? Compound lifts. And it's not that both of them don't have their, their place and their utility. Every muscle needs to be strong, but you can lift a whole lot more weight when muscle groups that are all part of the same body are pulling together. And it's the same exact thing in the church. We can lift a whole lot more weight. We can go further, faster when we're all pulling together. And a church that isn't willing to do that, that's moving in a bunch of different directions, simply will not be able to accomplish all the things God had for that church to accomplish. But a unified community, that gives us the strength we need to chase this mission in the middle of a shattered world that conspires to keep us from accomplishing it. And the way we can be unified is love. Love is the ticket. Love is the thing that keeps our differences from becoming divisions. We're always going to have differences. That's part of any group of human beings you put together. There are differences, but those differences don't have to become divisions if we're willing to humbly love one another. I want to be clear about that too, because sometimes there are dividing lines. We talked last week about how a guy named Arius showed up at the Council of Nicaea, and he's like, Jesus was born, he's not God, and Santa Claus punched him in the face. Old St. Nicholas said, no, that's a dividing line, Jesus is God, you got to get out. There are theological dividing lines, there are dividing lines even inside a church that are gospel issues. People who take verses out and they twist them and they misuse them and say, hey, it's okay for me to have racial prejudice. Hey, it's okay for me to abuse my wife and kids because this verse says, and you're like, no, that's a dividing line. This is a gospel issue. There are differences that become divisions, but not every difference has to become a division if we're willing to love each other. Love is the fuel. And when we love each other in a unified way, we can chase the mission God's given us. And what Paul tells us is that once we do that, once we experience the fullness and the depth of the love of Jesus and the love of his people, then we begin to unlock the full riches of wisdom, the hidden treasures that are found in Jesus Christ. 
I don't know about you guys, but show of hands, how many of you would like to fully understand God and know all the hidden treasures there are in Jesus? I would. And if we're not careful, and if we didn't know any better, what we think is that Paul is saying in this passage that those things actually exist, that there is like a secret sauce to following Jesus. But that's not what he was saying. Paul, as he does in so many other places, is being brutally sarcastic here. See, there's this group of people in Colossae known as the Gnostics. Gnosis is the Greek word for wisdom. And the Gnostics were the people who came along and said, yeah, Jesus is great, but there's like some, some depth of like total consciousness. There's some depth of like accumulating material stuff. That's secret. And if you want that, you need Jesus and. Jesus and our rules. Jesus and our regulations. Jesus and our rituals. There's some words you got to say and thoughts you got to think if you want to unlock the deeper hidden mysteries. And so what Paul is doing is using their own words against them. He's saying, oh yeah, deep mysteries, hidden treasures in Jesus. That's all available. You want to know how to get it? Wait for it. Jesus, just Jesus, a plain Jesus burger with no ketchup, mustard, onions, or anything else. It's just Jesus. There is no secret. It's just Jesus. I love it so much because I think there are Gnostics in our world too. There are voices that constantly tell us we must be missing out on something and we got to add something to Jesus. And sometimes they sound smart. And they did back then too. In verses four and five, Paul wrote, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delighted to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. He said, I know sometimes it gets confusing and the people who keep telling you like, hey, if you just do this, if you just think this, then it'll all fall into place. They sound like they might be right, but don't get confused. Don't believe it, not for a minute. Don't think for one second that just because we can't fully understand God, that means he's inaccessible to us. That just because he's bigger than us, it means he's beyond us. It is not a mystery how God loves. It is not a mystery how God moves. It is not a mystery how God thinks. It is not a mystery how God cares because God stepped out of the fabric of eternity into the fabric of the human story and showed us in the person of Jesus Christ. He revealed himself to us in Jesus. It's not confusing. It's not hidden. There is no treasure that you have to dig to find. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's only ever been Jesus. Everything we need is found in him. He's the secret sauce. So Paul says, if you really want to live into the fullness of God's promises, if you want to experience the beauty of life fully alive, the beauty of being invited into this mission of God that echoes for eternity, then you need to anchor yourself in Jesus. In verse six, he says, so then just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I love this. Just as you received Jesus, continue to live your lives in him. It's like, don't twist it now. At the beginning, you stepped into this whole Christianity thing by putting your faith in Jesus. Don't put your faith in rules and rituals later. Keep Jesus at the center of it all. And it's kind of crazy to think about, but the faith that these believers had was completely built on Jesus. They didn't have a New Testament. It wasn't written yet. I mean, this letter Paul wrote them became part of the New Testament. 
They didn't have their own copies of the Old Testament in their house. They knew what it said, but they might not have even had a copy of the Old Testament in their town, and most of them couldn't read anyways. Their faith was entirely built on stories people had told them, eyewitnesses had told them about who Jesus was and how Jesus lived. And Paul's like, don't build your faith on anything other than that now. Like you started by believing in the person of Jesus. That was the starting line of faith. That is the ending line of faith. Don't get confused that the middle is about something different. It's Jesus. And he uses this metaphor. He says, like, make sure that your lives are rooted in him. And I love that word picture, to, to root our lives in Jesus. Like roots provide nutrients and an anchor in the middle of storms. Roots matter. The kind of roots a plant has determine whether that plant will grow at all and whether it will ever be able to produce fruit. And it's the same for us in, in Jesus. This is like what you're soaking in is what you'll leak. What you're soaking in is what you'll produce. And it's what will come out of you, especially when life is difficult. Like when you get bumped, it's what's in you that will come out. I got a bottle of Gatorade up here. Right Now, if Jody drop-kicked me right now, what would come out of this bottle? Just an if. Hypothetical. Hypothetical. What would come out? Gatorade. Not Coke or Pepsi or loose change or rocks or anything else. Gatorade is in here. When you're bumped, it's what's in you that comes out. It's a pretty good gut-check moment. Think about the last time you got bumped. What came out? I mean, it may not be a one-to-one correlation, But there's some relationship between what comes out of you when you get bumped and what your life is rooted in. And this is true in faith. It's true across every spectrum of your lives. Your roots determine your fruits. Your roots determine your fruits. And Paul's saying if you want to experience God's abundance, if you want to be part of this exciting mission he's got on planet Earth, if you want to know what it is to be in a community where people love you, and encourage you by providing you a strength not your own. Put down deep roots in Jesus. In John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus said, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like we want our lives to be fruitful. To bear the kinds of fruit God dreamed us up, knit us together, and put us right here to bear. The key is anchoring ourselves and our futures in Jesus. The question is, how do we do that? How do we put down deep roots? How do we soak in the presence of Jesus? And the answer to that is is just as simple as the phrase, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We spend time with him and with his people. The key to continuing our lives in Jesus is connecting to him and his community. It's not rocket surgery, right? I want to issue all of you a simple, uncomplicated invitation this morning. Make time to connect with Jesus and his people. Make it a priority. We live in a crazy, busy world where some of the most important things we could possibly do get crowded out of our days and our schedules because of the tyranny of the urgent. There are endless options every single day that claim to be urgent that will cause us to ignore the few things that really matter. But the truth is, if we don't do 
the one thing that matters most by connecting to Jesus, by spending time with him and his community, then none of this goes. It just doesn't work the way that it's meant to work and we will find ourselves in that old familiar place of disappointment. We'll find ourselves feeling like faith is similar to the Wendy's Italian mozzarella chicken sandwich. Disappointing. Because our experiences and our expectations just aren't matching up. But if we want to shrink the gap, it's found in connection with Jesus and his people. And knowing Jesus isn't quite the same thing as knowing about him. I mean, as we talk and think about this, there are endless ways, endless resources that we have that help us know about Jesus. And all that stuff is, is really, really great, but it's not a substitute for spending time with him. Like if, if I want to be a great husband to Jenny, right? I could go out and I could read books about husbandry. That's not the right word. <laughs> That's delivering baby animals. That's gross. It might be easier and cleaner than marriage sometimes, actually. But husbanding, I could read books about husbanding, about, about marriage, and that'd be great. And there'd be some tips and tricks that I could pull from that. But the best thing I could do is just spend time with her. Then I could write the book, not on marriage, but on marriage to Jenny. There's a comedian named Dustin Nickerson. He wrote, recently wrote a book about life and marriage, and he called it How to Be Married to Melissa. And I heard him on a podcast, and he's like, I don't know if I know anything about marriage at all or have any good advice. I just know how to be married to Melissa, so that's what I wrote about. And I love it so much because that's what our relationships with Jesus are like. There are all sorts of videos we could watch and Bible studies we could do, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm thankful to be living in the time that we are alive because all that stuff is beautiful and wonderful and great. And yet the best thing, the most powerful, most important thing is still spending time with Jesus in prayer, in his word, and in community with his people who love us and are there for us and encourage us and strengthen us. Like prayer, Bible reading, worship services, house groups. You've heard me say that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times because it really is that simple. There is no secret sauce. It's just Jesus. And as we allow him to become the center of our faith and the center of our universe, as we put deep roots down in him, we'll begin to experience a shrinking of the gap, to live fully alive, and we'll begin to see the beauty of what it means to be invited to play a role in this mission of his that echoes for eternity of helping people crash into Jesus and follow him fully. I think that's worth giving our lives to. Will you just pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for the way that you invite us to know you. You invite us to connect with you. You invite us to anchor our lives in you. Let me pray in the middle of a crazy, busy culture that distracts us, that throws so many urgent things at us that it's easy to push the important ones to the back of our schedule, that we would make time for you, that we connect with you and your people, that that be a priority so that we can begin to experience the life that is truly life, so we can be fully human and fully alive, and so that we can be a part of encouraging the people around us to chase this mission together 
of helping people know the beauty and the fullness, the forgiveness and the freedom that are found in you. Lord, would you use us for that purpose? We commit ourselves to it. In Jesus' name, amen.